Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. It was a soft summer night when you came into my life. thought it was a dream when your hand reached out for me. Hey everyone, welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary, the Luke 8 episode. Lo-Fi Lectionary, your podcast for the religiously burned out and the spiritually curious who want to dig into the Bible and... We read it as a piece of literature, more than anything, um, and we it, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for, for listening so far, or if this is your first time, welcome. Um, normally right here is where I'd go into asking you guys for all the help that I need, getting the podcast out there and stuff like that, but instead of that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Um, it's been a big source of joy for me to do this podcast and to hear from some of you guys and just to put it out there in the world. Um, it's good for my heart. So thank you guys so much. Um, one thing I'll mention is uh, a couple people have written to me and said, Hey, the podcast episodes are real long and it's hard for me to get through, um, in a week because un- unlike some of the rest of us, I don't know about you, but I just listen to podcasts basically nonstop. <laughs> um, so apparently I have a lot of free time. Um, uh, and some of you might not. And here's what I'm going to say is don't worry if you don't keep up with all the episodes every week. Um, the cool thing that I think I, I, I caught on to when I was to kind of designing the format of the podcast in the first place was just that it creates a library and you can listen to it at your own pace. And if it takes you a long time to get through it, great. Keep, please keep up with it. If you burn through it real quickly like some of us, you know, and, you, and you're up to date on every episode, fantastic. Um, so yeah, so, you know, do it at your own pace. What's great is that hopefully if this keeps going on and I do this for a while, we're just going to build up a library of, um, you know, doing the lo-fi method and applying it to many books. You know, so so right there, I'll go ahead and toss this out there as well. Um, pretty soon, sooner or later, we're going to have to decide what book to do after Luke um, so I'm still looking for suggestions, whatever you'd like. Um, I want it to be kind of listener directed. So if something sounds good to you, let me know. Okay. So real quick first, before we actually get into the text, let's do Luke in two minutes. Are you ready? We're going to do it just a little bit differently this time. We're actually, uh, instead of talking Luke in two minutes as a narrative form in two minutes, we're going to analyze the different ways that people react to Jesus wherever he goes in the book so far. Ready? Okay, so sometimes in the book of Luke, uh, when people hear about Jesus or meet him, they're very excited and honored. So at the very beginning, even before Jesus is born, when it's said that he's going to be born, you have people like Mary and Zechariah who sing songs and poems and are very excited that Jesus is going to be born. You also have the angels coming in and announcing, hey, this is, uh, you know, God showing his favor on all of you. And the shepherds praise God because of what's going on. You also have other people later on that actually meet Jesus and recognize his goodness. So starting off with Simeon and Anna, even when he's just a baby, or the crowds at the temple when he's a little boy. Um, are very excited because they are thinking th- big things are coming. But then you also have people that recognize his goodness in a special way. As Jesus is traveling around and teaching, you get the lepers, the sick, you get the woman at the banquet, you get the, the centurion who come to him because they seem to recognize that his nature is good and that he was willing to help them. So there's something about Jesus that these people who are normally ostracized from their community feel safe around him. There's something attractive about him. Um, there's also people who are just astounded and amazed at what he does. So you have crowds that are around uh, whenever he does healings that say things like God is looking favorably upon his people or a great prophet has risen among us. So some people are really astounded and amazed and excited. Um, but then you have people on the other side who are a little bit confused about Jesus. So often you even have the same crowds saying things like, you know, who is this? What kind of authority does he have to say these things to cast out demons? Or who is this that has authority to forgive sins? That doesn't work. You even have John the Baptist who's a little bit confused. Then you have people who are really upset with what Jesus does. They're upset and or even they try and thwart him. Um, so the devil... Um, kind of tries to thwart him some ways in those temptations in the desert, but then you have, um, you know, even some people early on, surprisingly, you have Mary and Joseph who are, who are upset with Jesus when he, uh, scares them when he's a kid, when he disappears, they have great anxiety. You also have the crowd at Nazareth that tries to kill him when Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to do good things, but you might not get it. You have the scribes and Pharisees who are opposing him at every step, um, who say that he's uttering blasphemies or he's not praying right, or he's breaking the Sabbath or he's close to sinners. And that's not okay. That's not what God is doing in the world. And so much like Ozzy Osbourne, Jesus was repeatedly accused of corruption of the young. Oh, my two minutes is up, and if you got that last reference, we should be best friends forever. Let's go ahead and jump right into Luke 8. Here we go. 
Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, who had seven demons had gone out, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for Jesus and the followers out of their resources. So here's our first little break, um, just to mention a couple quick things. Um, one is that women, um, back at the time, if they were from a well-to-do family or if they had a business themselves, um, could be patrons, could be patrons of uh, of local teachers or, or you know, the arts, you know, stuff like that um, at the time. Now, this didn't happen as often as men being patrons, but here in the book of Luke, um, Luke wants to point out, hey, there's a bunch of women who uh, who were supporting Jesus and providing for him and and the whole group that were traveling around out of their resources and it doesn't mention any men so Luke is is doing something very intentional there uh, and mentioning that it was these women who actually made all this stuff possible um, and then moreover Luke mentions not only that they were patrons but that um, they went with him like it says the twelve were with him as well as some women so women never in the ancient world traveled with the traveling teacher as learners like these women are. That would have been considered extremely scandalous. Um, you know, and so even among some old texts that we have of like ancient Greek philosophers, if they were mad at each other, like one could accuse the other philosopher as having female students. Like that would be like an, an accusation that would, uh, you know, ruin the reputation of their, of their other teacher that they're kind of opposing. So here, Jesus doesn't seem to care. Like, he has women traveling around with him along with the twelve. Like, and remember, the twelve aren't the only disciples. The twelve are just the ones who are authorized as, like, apostles. But he has this whole group of disciples, and among them, women. So, there you go. Um, so Jesus takes them, they are, you know, they're, they're traveling around as disciples and support being the major financial supporters, which is really interesting. Luke, um, as a continuing thing of Luke, Luke has a really interesting, um, interest in making sure that we, the readers or his audience at the time knows that women were very involved in, in key places of leadership and discipleship amongst Jesus's community. And this is one of those instances. Um, and we'll see that more as we continue on. Let's go ahead and continue on in the story. When a great crowd gathered and people from town to town came to see Jesus, he said to them in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some seeds fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some seeds fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, To you it is given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones that fell on the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe only for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. But as for that, that in their good soil, these are the ones when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. So that's the end of this first little, little passage of teaching. Um, so Jesus gives a parable, which is a story, um, like a word picture story, kind of like an allegory that would have symbolic meaning. Um, and that usually has some sort of surprise at the end. Um, this one isn't terribly surprising, but often they do. So we would all, if when we read parables, we're always kind of looking to see if there's a surprise there and what the twist is that kind of like is kind of giving a twist on conventional thinking for the time. But anyway, here we have a parable and it's about seeds and soils. And so the seed is the word of God, you know, and Jesus has been going around, quote unquote, speaking the word of God to people. Um, and what's interesting in his picture is there's four kinds of soils and all soils get the seed, like the seed goes everywhere. So um, if we want 
want to follow Jesus on his, on his meaning here, like everywhere Jesus goes, like everyone gets the word of God. Like he's willing to speak and share it with everyone. He, he intentionally doesn't stay in cities too long. He keeps traveling around and wherever he goes, um, not just geographically, but all kinds of people are welcome to hear the word of God. So we've just had a passage that directly points out that women were allowed to be his disciples and travel in his group. Um, so, you know, and lepers and people who are normally seen as outcasts are all invited to experience his goodness with them. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and there's four kinds of soil and there's one of them that are good, but three of them kind of have problems. You know, one of them, um, you know, evil kind of comes around and snatches it away, um, you know, before it can really do anything. Um, and in one of them, um, you know, like it's like a plant that has no strong roots. And so eventually it gets blown away or it doesn't grow right, you know, and in one of them, uh, it grows among other weeds and thorns and the other weeds and thorns, you know, he says are the cares and riches and pleasures of life. So the, those same things we see in woes a little bit. Um, and the fruit can't mature because the thorns choke it out. But in the good soil are those who hear it because they all hear it that hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. And I guess luckily don't get taken away by, um, by evil. You know what I mean? Like the first one. So all soils here and only the good soil is able to kind of hold the word and bear fruit and endure. So like we've seen Jesus say earlier, you know, why do you hear what I say and don't do it? Like the people that are really following me, the ones that do it, you know, it's the good soil, the ones that hear and take it to heart and bear fruit with endurance and action. So, um, so there we go. Let's go ahead and continue on in the story. No one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts the lamp on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. Then pay attention and to how you listen. For those who have, more will be given. And from those who do not have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. So again, Jesus is kind of hammering home this idea about how important it is to not just hear something, but to listen. Like they kind of throw around those terms differently. So Jesus wraps up to pay attention to how you listen. For those of you who are listening and to kind of take it to heart, you're going to get more. And for those of you who don't, um, it's, it's, it's not going to go well for you. And he uses this imagery of light, you know, light isn't hidden. You know, if you're, if you're lighting a lamp in a house in the ancient world, you, you're lighting it so everyone can see. So you don't like then go hide it under something. So it's not like what he's saying is like, even in the last little passage, you know, he talks about, you know, um, there's secrets of the kingdom of God. It's not like, but they're not like they're being hidden away. It's just certain people kind of are more ready to hear them and certain, you know, people aren't, um, you know, uh, he even says in this passage for nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed. Everyone's going to get everything kind of equally. It's offered to everyone everywhere. Just like the seed, Jesus isn't trying to trick someone. It's just that he's kind of acknowledging some of you guys are going to be better listeners and act on it than others are. So let's continue on. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So again, a third passage in a row. Remember, Luke arranges moments from Jesus's life in a certain way by theme to really hammer home those themes. So we've had this, the, the seed parable, then we've had the lamp story, and then now we're having this little narrative moment of a time when people are like, hey, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to hear you. And Jesus uses that as a moment to say, ah, you know who my real family is? Those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, it's not so much like a diss on his family. It's just he's using that as a teaching moment. Um, so, uh, but, you know, little interesting note, just to note that Jesus' mother is still alive and he has brothers um, and they're coming to see him, um, but they can't get in because the crowd is too big. Um, so Jesus is just reiterating here, um, you know, everyone gets, you know, the word of God, but if you really want to be a part of what I'm doing, um, and if you really want it to mean something, you actually need to need to follow through on what I'm teaching. So just kind of interesting. Let me take a drink and then we'll continue on. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake, the lake or sea. Those words are interchangeable in Greek. So they put out and while they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing! And Jesus woke up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, 
and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Okay, so there's a lot of fun stuff going on in this one little passage. Oh, it's so great. Okay, so they go out on the sea or the lake, um, you know, and so it's 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 big enough that they are out on a boat for a while, and these these people, even some of them fishermen, are far enough away from shore that when when a storm comes up, they're getting afraid, like they think they're going to die. Um, now, in the ancient world. Um, the storms and seas and water were seen as part of like chaotic forces of nature. So underwater was a really scary place for people in the ancient world. I think it's particularly scary to me now, but that's just because I was traumatized by the, um, Jaws 4 poster that was outside of the movie theater when I was a kid that was next to my mom's window shop. So I had to walk by it a whole bunch of days until they got that movie out of the theater. And I was just traumatized by it. I don't like to go in the ocean anymore, but for ancient people, it was like a place you can't see. Who knows what's down there? Weird things wash up on the beach occasionally that look like monsters and stuff like that. So in a lot of ancient literature, you have um, like sea gods and sea beasts and all kinds of stuff um, being used in mythological stories to represent just like things out there in the world that are just so weird and monstrous and scary and are kind of beyond the control of even whatever their pantheon of gods was and stuff like that. So the ocean, the sea, not a safe place. And so here they go out and it's like the chaotic forces are kicking up. A storm comes up, the waves are crashing, their boat is filling with water. They're about to go down into the land of chaos, basically. Um, and, um, Jesus, when they wake him up, like rebukes, he, he, he says, don't do that to <laughs> the wind and the raging waves and they cease and there's a calm. So this, it's a miracle story, but you have to realize the depth of this miracle is that Jesus is showing himself to be someone who has verbal control over the chaotic forces of nature. And so that's why even his disciples who have been with him for a while say to one another, they're afraid and amazed. And say to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Like they're kind of freaked out by how powerful Jesus is, is even here. They've already seen him probably do a lot of amazing things. And this one is like times 10. So they're kind of freaked out and they don't know who he is. So again, they're, they're questioning his identity and questions about Jesus's identity are going to be real key things going on in the book of Luke. Already we've had a lot of other people be like, huh, who is this guy? But now his disciples don't even seem to fully understand who he is. Um, again, Jesus says, where is your faith? Again, faith is going to become a key theme and a key word as we continue on in this next block of stuff from the book of Luke. We already saw it previously. The faith of the centurion amazes and surprises Jesus. The faith of the woman like, like brings her salvation here. Jesus is like, where's your faith? You know, where's your trust? Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, the, the soils in the last, in the first teaching story, some of them get overtaken by evil and some of them fall away when they're tested in dangerous situations. And here Jesus is like, well, where's yours? Like, which soil are you going to be right now? Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, so the disciples, you know, aren't always characterized hundred percent perfect in the gospels and thank goodness, um, we get some stories about their failures. And also we've had three stories in a row where Jesus says, it's really important that you hear and that you do what I say. And here in this story, Jesus verbally rebukes the ocean, like not the ocean, the sea and the storm and they stop. So here illustrated, because not everywhere Jesus goes, are people going to follow what Jesus teaches? But the forces of nature are good soil. Like they listen and they obey. They hear the word of God and they do it. Interesting, isn't that? Let's continue on in the next story. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. So they've gone across the Sea of, the Ga of Galilee to the country of Gerasenes. Um, and these are mostly non-Jewish folks here. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, this man had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
for Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times the spirit had seized the man, and he was kept under guard, and he was bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked the man, What is your name? And the man said, Legion, for he had many demons that had entered him. The demons begged him, begged Jesus, not to order them to go back into the abyss. But there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Sad trombone. Okay, so we've already had a story where they experienced one storm of the chaotic forces of nature, and now they cross the lake and they find another storm. There's a supernatural showdown that has been going on in this guy for a long time. It says many times the, the, the spirit seized him, and so he had to be kept under guard, and people in his town were so freaked out about him that they tried to chain him up, but he would always have, like, super demon strength and would break the chains. And he lived out in the tombs, which was not a, a place where you would go. If this was any kind of a Jewish community, it would be seen as an unclean place. And he wore no clothes, so he would be always, like unclean kind of cast out of the community because he was just running around naked like this is a wild wild man and this and these spirits like this de these demons that have come upon him have basically it's it's ruined this guy's life you know um and uh so jesus enters into this non-jewish town across the lake so jesus is interested in not just kind of ministering to the people of israel but he's cross-culturally going around and spreading the favor and the word of god to anyone he can. So again, the seeds go to everyone, to all the soils. Um, and so this, uh, this guy with all these demons, um, you know, he's living an, an unclean life, you know, from a Jewish perspective and he names Jesus. He IDs Jesus correctly. Where even in the, just the last story, the disciples are like, who is this? The guy with all the demons runs up and is like, Jesus, son of the most high God. <laughs> like, um, so again, continuing the theme of like the, the, the wrong people you think would be identifying Jesus correctly and the right people often are very confused about him. Um, it could also, again, we talked about this before, be a moment of power struggle. So you would use someone's name when you're in a supernatural showdown to try and get authority over them. Um, so Jesus asks for this guy's name, you know, um, so Jesus is trying to is trying to get control over the spirits in this guy. The guy says his name is Legion. A legion um, in, in, in Greek or Latin, you know, would be four to 6,000 things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's big exaggeration. Like, there's so many demon spirits inside this guy. They're, like, uncountable. Like, he is just so messed up, you know. Um, it's just constant turmoil. It's a storm inside of this guy. It's a chaotic force. Um, the demons uh, realize that they're about to lose. So the demons beg Jesus uh, in the same way that kind of the disciples have begged Jesus in the last story um, to please don't send us down to the abyss. Um, the abyss, that, that kind of word in their culture would just kind of be viewed as the underground, like this place under the ground um, where it was believed that evil spirits either lived or were imprisoned. So they're like, please don't imprison us underground. Um, and uh, they begged Jesus again, begged uh, Jesus to let them enter into these pigs. Now, from a Jewish person's point of view, um, that's kind of perfectly fine because pigs were unclean. They weren't kosher animals. Um, but remember, Jesus isn't in uh, a Jewish town. Um, so they, they begged to be sent into the swine that were feeding nearby. And Jesus grants their request. Like, they request mercy of Jesus. Like, the demons that have ruined this guy's life are here requesting mercy from Jesus, apparently, in a weird way. And Jesus grants their request. Isn't that strange? Um, but maybe that fits into the theme of Jesus even loved their enemies. But here, it's not just, like, human enemies. It's, like, spiritual enemies, which is is really interesting. I had never caught that before, before I read it this time for this week. Um, but he does send them into swine. And then once they go into the pigs, they like break out of their little barn. Um, and they run down a steep bank into a lake and they all drown. <laughs> um, so they run off and die. Um, and you know, according to the way people thought at the time, if you were inhabited by, if a demon inhabited an animal or a person and the animal or person died, 
that, that that meant that the evil spirit died as well. So instead of going down to the abyss, they, they die. Um, and so here again, we have a story of where Jesus has been hammering home this message of, you need to not only hear my words, but do it. In the very last passage, we had a storm, um, hear Jesus's words and do it. And hear um, all these evil spirits hear Jesus's words and they go and they obey it. Like they go into the swine and they run off and die. Um, and, uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? So again, the people you would least suspect are hearing and following Jesus. There's a lot of irony and there's some humor to the story. Um, one last thing to point out, um, the man, when he saw Jesus, it says he fell down before him. So again, remember in Luke, whenever people fall down before Jesus, that's a sign that they are like desperate for help and they are on board to like receive his goodness and stuff like that. So everyone on the ground does well here. The man is on the ground. Um, let's go ahead and continue on in the story. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone. And the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. So there's a couple of really neat things in here. Um, again, we have the man sitting with Jesus, which is one, again, in Luke, that means he's sitting on the ground, which is, means that he's doing the right thing. Two, um, sitting at the feet of a teacher meant that you were taking on the posture of a disciple. So he's, he's, he's on board with this Jesus movement. He wants to be one of them. Um, the people are really afraid. It says it twice that they were seized with great fear and they were afraid. Um, so there could be a couple possible reasons why they were so afraid. One, just a miraculous thing happened. Um, two, um, they've just lost their herd of pigs, which might've been their livelihood. They could be economically kind of afraid and angry, um, at what Jesus is doing. And then three, um, if they kind of are taking Jesus as not like a, like a, like a prophet, like the way some Jewish people might, but, um, as like a magician, because there were people who kind of traveled around as like traveling magicians at the time and would do, you know, some feats of, of things and, and, Greek people were really afraid of these people. And so if Jesus looks like one of these kind of shifty characters, um, you know, who are kind of have some sort of control over some chaotic forces in the world, that's kind of a freaky thing. Um, so they're afraid, but their fear doesn't have amazement accompanying it. So often in Luke, we get the phrase like they were afraid and amazed. Here we get they were just afraid. Um, and so they ask Jesus to leave. So they're not good soils. Um, this guy, Legion, he was kind of a good soil. Um, the, the, the storm is kind of a good soil. We're looking to see who's going to be good soils and they hear and they see, but they ask him to leave. They don't take an act upon it. Um, so, um, the, remember one of the soils is choked out by fears and the cares of life. Um, and so it doesn't really take root in the, the word of God doesn't really take root in their life. So, um, so they push Jesus away. Now this man, you know, this legion, for lack of a better name, because we don't have what his regular human name was, uh, begs Jesus a second time. And he, this time he's begging to, to go along with him. Now, at these moments when Jesus usually does like a really big healing or a miracle, often he asks people to be quiet. He says, please don't talk about it. I don't want um, a lot of hubbub to build up. He's to, kind of trying to control his PR. Um, but here, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he says, I don't want you to come with me and be my disciple. I want you to stay here and be my follower and go around and tell other people how much good God has done for you. Like your job is to be like one of my people to go and declare the favor of God, but on your own without me, these people need you to hear it, which is kind of interesting. Um, and so this guy can kind of remain a witness to who Jesus is, that he wasn't just a magician. It was, it's not, it's not do declare how much I've done for you, Jesus. It's how much God has done for you. So he's kind of connecting his power, not to kind of some sort of magical source, but to a theological source, a religious source. Um, 
so he wants that guy to stay there and, and to talk about it. And, and the man goes and does it. It's, um, so he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. So again, the guy, good soil. He hears what Jesus asks him to do, and he goes and he does it. So we're, we're getting the soils illustrated for us over these stories. So uh, let's go ahead and continue on and see what happens next. Let me take a drink. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. So he's gone back over the lake. When Jesus returns, the crowd welcomes him, for they were all waiting for him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As they went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering for, from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. So we're going to stop right here and talk about this. Um, so the next story, Jesus goes back um, over to the town, um, to the Jewish town, and uh, a leader of the synagogue comes up. He falls at Jesus' feet, so it's cluing us in as to what kind of person this guy is and what relationship he wants to have with Jesus, and he begs. So all through these passages, people are begging Jesus. And this guy begs um, that he has a, a daughter who is 12 years old, so she's not fully an adult yet, um, who's dying. Um, now this is kind of interesting because, um, the fact of the matter is, is that girls, especially before they were, um, they were seen as adults had like absolutely no social status, um, at the time. So, uh, you know, a family might love them, but like it's, it's, it's a very, um, low status person, um, at the time there had a social stratification system and, uh, and so that's kind of where this daughter is coming from. But this guy really wants Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Um, and then they get interrupted in a certain sense along the way. There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. So this girl is 12 years old and this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. That's a little literary, um, technique that Luke is using there to connect these two women. Um, and she would have also had really low social status, like because she's been bleeding for 12 years, she is ceremonially unclean in her community for now 12 years. Um, and, uh, and that would have been very, very bad for her to say the least, um, to describe it in a little bit more detail. Um, if you were bleeding, um, you weren't allowed to touch anyone else and no one was allowed to touch you because that would make them also ceremonially unclean and you don't want to be unclean. Um, you couldn't, um, share, um, the furniture in your house if you were bleeding, especially if you were a woman who was bleeding um, menstrually. You weren't allowed to sit on the furniture because you didn't want to um, share your uncleanliness, quote-unquote, with anyone else in the household. You weren't allowed to go to the temple or the synagogue and participate in worship because you were unclean. Um, and uh, we're going to go ahead and actually, uh, we're going to jump back to the book of Leviticus. This is a passage out of Leviticus 15. Um, where a lot of these laws and these customs and practices come from about people who are bleeding. And here's what Leviticus chapter 15 says. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her quote-unquote impurity, or if she has a discharge from the time of her impurity, beyond the regular time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be treated as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanliness of her impurity. Whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash their clothes, his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until the evening. If she is cleansed of her uh, discharge, she shall count seven days, and after that she shall be clean." On the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer one for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement on her behalf before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanliness, so that they do not die in their, in their uncleanliness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst." Whew, that's, I mean, that's heavy stuff. I mean, it's not like, oh, it's an accident that you're bleeding. It's like, yeah, even after you get clean, you got to go to the temple and make quote unquote atonement, um, for your uncleanliness. Um, 
it's really heavy. I mean, and so if this woman's been bleeding for 12 years, that means no one's been allowed to touch her without being made unclean for 12 years. She can't even share the same bed, couch, seat, uh, stuff like that for, for 12 years. Like, and, and, and even depending on how strictly they wanted to enforce these rules, like it could even be stricter than that, you know? So it's, it's possible if, if this woman had a family, she hasn't hugged them or held them for 12 years. Um, it's, it's one source I said it's it's likely at the time that if this has been going on this long that this woman might have been divorced by her husband um, because her uncleanliness has been going on for so long and and they can't be like physical or relational in the same way. Um, so the, this woman has been shunned and marginalized by her community. She's basically a leper um, or seen that way. And so again, when you were unclean, it was your job to make sure that you stayed away from others so that you didn't make them unclean. And yet there's something about Jesus that when she hears that he's coming through, just to go back to the story, she spent all the money that she had had on physicians and no one could cure her, but she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes. Like this is a huge breach of, of custom for her to go and touch him. Um, but when she touches him, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Let's continue on in the text. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she been, had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus is curious. He wants to know who he just healed. <laughs> like he knows that power went out from him. There's a big crowd. Even Peter's like, look, dude, there's so many people. We can't, how are we supposed to figure it out? But Jesus like presses the issue and this woman comes and she comes trembling like before him. Um, now we know why she's probably afraid because she could be getting in huge, huge trouble here. Like she went out of her way to touch someone else and not just anyone like a traveling, you know, rabbi, a teacher, uh, uh, an esteemed person and has made him unclean and has made him maybe unclean as he's on his way to heal someone else. And if he's in unclean maybe he, he, he it would be wrong of him to go and do that healing too and so she might have caused big trouble here and could be you know i mean vulnerable people when they're victims to social pain and stuff like that you, she's living with the trauma of that so she's just probably just terrified of what might happen right now um but she comes and she falls down before him which again in luke is a good place to be on the ground um and she's one, she tells the whole story. She tells the truth. She tells all about it. And she has to wait to hear what Jesus is going to judge, you know, over her, what he's going to pronounce. And Jesus is not angry and he's not upset and he's not afraid of having been made unclean or contaminated. Like the law says, like the law says that if he's been touched by this person, he should be unclean for a day and he needs to go wash himself and wash his clothes. And yet he, he doesn't do any of that and he doesn't treat her that way um he's not he doesn't seem to be afraid of being seen as contaminated and he's not afraid of having been touched even by a, a woman like remember jesus and luke very pro women um com at least comparatively for the time and he actually pronounces not judgment over her but mercy and peace your faith has made you well go in peace. He's not using magic. He's not, um, you know, some sort of goofy traveling musician. He doesn't require the sacrifice. He doesn't tell her, go to the temple and make sure that you give those sacrifices to make atonement for how you've been. Um, he just tells her to go in peace. <laughs> Your faith has made you well. Um, so just like the woman, um, from the last story at the banquet, um, he says, your faith has made you well. And he doesn't require any restitution. He just tells her to go in peace. Interesting guy, this Jesus. Let's continue on in the story. While Jesus was still speaking, um, because they've been interrupted by this woman, while he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, do not fear, only believe, and she will be saved. 
When they came to the house, Jesus did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all weeping and wailing for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But Jesus took the girl by the hand and called out, Child, get up! And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he ordered them not to tell, he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is our last little piece of text from the book for today. And um, again, a um, couple key Luke themes here. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, only believe. So have faith and she will be saved. So again, faith is something that seems to lead towards salvation um, so far in the last few stories. And again, Jesus hammers home this idea, don't be afraid. Um, as angels and Jesus are constantly telling people all throughout the book, people seem to be, people seem to be really scared often in Luke. And Jesus is always in the, in the business of saying, don't be afraid. Um, he invites them to not be afraid, which is interesting. Um, so, um, he goes to the house. Um, he invites only Peter, John, and James and the father and mother. And so, so Peter, John, and James kind of are going to become kind of even amongst the 12 apostles, kind of the people who are kind of Jesus's most inner circle. Um, and we don't, we're not really given a reason for that. Like they're just like the guys who are, who are the kind of the most close. Um, so he invites only a very select group of people in. Um, he goes in and uh, everyone's weeping and wailing. Remember back then, as we talked about in, when we talked about the funeral last episode, um, you know, weeping and wailing was like a job that you did when people died. Um, it was a, it, you had professionalized grief. Um, and you had grief practices and you would even occasionally even invite and hire and bring in other people to kind of add to the weeping and wailing. And it says that even the people, Peter, James, John, the father and mother, like are in this wailing, weeping, but Jesus stops and he rebukes them. Do not weep for he is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh because they know that she's dead. Um, and it even, even the story acknowledges that she had died. It says that her spirit was gone. And so when Jesus says, child, get up, her spirit has to return. Remember, spirit is breath. Like, so she started breathing again. Like your breath was, was your spirit. And when God creates people way back in the book of Genesis, he breathes into them. Like he breathes his spirit and his life into them. And that's what brings people to life. So they need breath to live. And so boom, the child starts breathing and she gets up at once. And here, unlike in the Legion story, Jesus directs them, please don't tell anyone what had happened. Um, you know, this is Jesus being very careful about what kind of news spreads about him. Um, so, um, so yeah, key, key themes. I, I mean, like he invites people to have faith, you know, and faith will save people. And it's not saving something for the future. It's a, a savedness, a kind of salvation that's very present. Whenever Jesus says your faith heals you, it's always something that's happening right now. Not like, oh, they will be saved. Yeah, one day, you know, when God fixes everything, it's like, no, no, no. Right now, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know, stuff like that. Um, you know, Jesus cleans out all the mourners and he he touches the girl. He takes her by the hand. Again, Jesus not afraid to get corpse uncleanliness to be impure on him. The, the influence always runs the other way with Jesus. Um and, uh, and it is a reversal of the last healing. So um, the, there's this girl who's 12 and the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. In one story, the woman seeks out Jesus and wants to touch him. And in this one, Jesus reaches out and touches the girl. So again, these are storytelling methods that Luke is using to kind of paint some, some particular details about what's going on in the story and how people react to Jesus and what kind of person Jesus is. Like he reaches out and touches and he allows people to reach out and touch him. It's really interesting. So let's go ahead and answer our lo-fi questions uh, for this uh, chapter. So uh, what is God like? Question number one. And again, um, let me just reiterate, we're buying into, for the sake of the story, the idea that Luke believes that Jesus is the son of God, like is divine. And so when we talk up, when we're asking the question, what is God like? We're really looking at what Jesus is like. Um, and in this chapter, some cool things about God. Um, God accepts women as equals. <laughs> he's, he's willing to take them as disciples in spite of this weird tradition that they have about all these rules um, that kind of um, 
shame women um, for, for you know, being, quote-unquote, impure in their time of their impurity and their discharge. Um, Jesus doesn't seem to care. Like, they touch him, he touches them, um, he takes them along. In fact, they're not just regular followers like Luke makes sure to point out that they're the ones who are actually fronting the bill and making all this ministry possible. Um, so in the book of Luke, God is, 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 is very down with women. <laughs> um, you know, um, I mean, I don't want to paint Jesus as, as being the same as like a, a feminist as we would understand, maybe understand that today, but for his time, very progressive. Remember it would have been terribly scandalous for, um, a teacher like Jesus to travel around and have female students. And he does, he doesn't care. Um, uh, you know, and no one else is listed as being a donor or a leader on the same level that these women are at the very beginning of the book of Luke. Just something interesting. Um, God in this chapter, what is God like? Um, he offers the word of God. Like, so again, that seed story, like as Jesus goes around and preaches and teaches everywhere he can to all kinds of people. Um, to everyone that he can, like everyone is equally gets God in a sense. Um, and not only his words, but also his actions, like wherever Jesus goes, if someone comes to him and they're like, Jesus, I really need this. Like, like all throughout the story, people are coming down and falling down before him and being like, my, my slave is, is gravely ill or my daughter's about to die or something like that. Jesus is responsive to that. He's, he's, he's very, he offers himself. He's very self-giving constantly. Um, and so as we've seen in the word picture stories in this chapter, like the seeds and the soils and the light, just as how seeds and those light go everywhere in those word pictures, everyone gets Jesus, not just the people that seem to deserve it or the people you'd expect. So lepers, sinners, tax collectors, um, even the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law that are going against Jesus all get Jesus. He's willing to go over to their houses and stuff like that. Very interesting. God, um, God's not withholding. Um, to only select group, it's for everyone. He goes across the lake to talk to the Gerasenes and not just all the Jews. Um, so, um, and also what's God like in, in this part of the, of Luke? Um, God has control over the chaotic forces of evil. Um, I mean, just to note that maybe that's not so much of a big deal to us, but to people at the time in Luke's time, that's a big deal that, okay, this person we're believing in, this Jesus guy, um, is God in a sense that he is over and above the other spiritual forces out there in the world. So whenever Jesus, you know, meets up with demons, they, they, they even know his name and they can't control him. He is always kind of in control of the situations. He's not freaked out by it. He sleeps during the storm. He's not afraid of the chaos. Um, and he's not afraid of dying. Like he even in the story has now made someone come back to life again, um, so he even has control over the forces of, of death, like something that no one can control. Um, Jesus seems to have no problem with all these things. Like, like, it's not like it wears him out even, you know what I mean? Like he, he's just like, oh, this is just how things are. Like I'm kind of over these things. Um, there's not like a battle going on between him and these things. It's not like there's a real, like a showdown that has some give and take, you know what I mean? Um, it's just like, he's like, oh, come out of that guy, you know, or, oh, like winds, rain, stop, you know what I mean? Up, you know, child, get up, you know? It's not like there's a lot of like stuff, thing. Jesus doesn't have to like build up his, his energy for it. Jesus doesn't have to use some sort of ceremony to work it up. He just is like, let's change. Like he just has control over it. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and what's even more interesting is that God, I mean, Jesus when he encounters all these big, scary, chaotic, evil things, even when he encounters and faces death itself, Jesus is like, you know, don't, don't be afraid of it. <laughs> um, I mean, the scariest things we can imagine Jesus is encountering in these stories. And he's like, don't be afraid. Just, just believe and go in peace. Like, interesting. Um, that's what God is like in this part of the story. What are people like? Um, well, People have faith and they believe. And when they have faith and they believe, like they experience some sort of salvation. Now, if you've been part of a religious background at all, or if you've heard people, Christians probably, talk about salvation and stuff like that in a certain sense, you kind of need to forget. I'm going to invite you to forget whatever you think being saved is. 
Um, you know, because if you think being saved is coming down an aisle during a particular song and hearing it, um, so that way you go to a certain place after you die. Um, that's not the way Jesus seems to be talking about it almost at all right now. It's something that people experience right now. Um, it's not in the future. It's right now. And some people that Jesus encounters overcome their fear, overcome whatever their challenges are, and trust in who he is and in his goodness and in his ability and therefore they believe and they're able to experience some sort of salvation. That's really interesting. Some people get that right. Some people won't, but some people do. Um, some people in the story put words into action. I mean, um, going back to the language of the seed story, um, you know, some people are going to be distracted by the cares and pleasures of life. And some people, when life gets really hard, are going to kind of, you know, the, the word is going to kind of wither in them and stuff like that. But some people are going to, Jesus says, you know, are going to put my words into action and, and take what I say and act and do it, you know? And some people do that. The group he's hanging out with when he says, these are my people, like the ones who are doing the word of God. Um, Legion becomes an example of that because he goes and he does it. Um, stuff like that. So some people really get that and are on board. Um, let's look at the disciples. What are people like? Well, if some people are like the disciples. Sometimes they're afraid but they keep following Jesus. Like they're afraid and they're confused about who Jesus is. They don't even understand what, you know, his identity, but they keep following him anyway. And maybe that's just what makes a good disciple. Like maybe what makes a good disciple is knowing everything and understanding everything and never being afraid, but just like, okay, even in spite of this, I'm going to keep following. Um, people who also do right in the story, kind of like the disciples, um, Legion and the bleeding woman and Jairus, they all fall on the ground. They're all afraid. They experience some fear. They all beg, um, of something of Jesus. Um, so they kind of acknowledge their need. Um, but they come to Jesus for help. Like they believe there's something about Jesus. They're attracted to his goodness, um, that they trust him enough to come and ask and get help. Oh, my phone's buzzing. Um, I'm going to put it on the carpet so it doesn't buzz anymore. Um, on the other side, you have people in the story who hear the same things, who see the same things, but are going to constantly get Jesus's identity wrong um, in a sense, um, in the same way that the disciples and some other people do. Um, you know, you have the Pharisees in the last story who don't identify Jesus, right? They're like, uh, if this guy was a prophet, he wouldn't do this. And not all Pharisees. Whenever I say Pharisees, they're a big group. Um, so this is never all the Pharisees. This is the ones that we encounter in the stories. But some of these, some of these Pharisees or teachers of the law or whatever, um, they also are a little bit, um, they also don't really get Jesus and the same with the disciples don't, but their problem is, is that they turn around and criticize and they don't celebrate a good thing when it happens. Um, so we have the swine herds kind of taking that position in this story. They're afraid. And instead of celebrating, oh my gosh, like this guy had a terrible life and we've been trying to chain him down and hold him down for years. And it's been awful for all of us, but now he's, he's in his right mind and he's got clothes on. Thank goodness. He found some pants. Um, they're so afraid, but they're not amazed. And they actually ask Jesus to leave. So, um, again, like the, they're, they're not being the good kind of soil in those moments. Um, I hate to kind of use the soil as a way of kind of like turning people into an object. So please don't, don't push that image too far. Um, cause I want to take these people as real people as, you know, being very dynamic. I, I'm sure that there are reasons that those swineherds were afraid. And unfortunately just their reaction is that they ask him to leave. Um, so that's lo-fi question two. Those are kind of some examples of what people are like. Um, and so question number three, why this story? Um, why, when Luke heard it, were people telling it already? Why did he write it down? Why did he put it here in the book? Why did people keep his book around? And why have people been telling this story for now thousands of years? Um, a couple of things we can try and guess. One, the story teaches equality and that the, the, the religious community is, is fully open to women. Um, when Luke is writing, as we'll see in other books of the Bible, other books in the New Testament, and in Luke's other book in the book of Acts that he writes, which is like his sequel to the, to the Jesus story in Luke, women are leaders in churches. And so as Luke is writing the story down to be distributed amongst Christians in churches all around, you know, the ancient world, it would be reaching churches where women were leading, where women were helping start churches and were leading churches and providing for churches. 
And so Luke, I wonder if he puts these stories in here because he's like, yeah, this is the way it should be. Those people aren't unclean. Those people aren't um, second-class citizens. Um, those people aren't lesser to men or anything like that. Like, yeah, this is the reason why we've been putting them in leadership positions in your churches because Jesus accepted them as leaders and as disciples. Um, and the church would have to carry that. Um, and so maybe they kept telling the story that they were like, yeah, this is the track we're on and this is what God is doing in the world. And here's some stories that teach us why God is like that and why we're doing what we're doing. So that's kind of thing number one. Number two, um, these stories kind of teach them to maintain a healthy tension between their belief and their action. I mean, here in these stories, when Jesus says only believe, you know, and they will be saved or don't fear, but believe things like that. Believe is a verb. It's not like a belief, like a set of a uh, checklist set of things that you intellectually acknowledge. It's like something that like has influence on what you, on how you're going to live and act in the world. Um, you know, and your faith is like something that you kind of have. Um, and, uh, and so there's this, there's this tension between like what you intellectually acknowledge and kind of what you believe, but that also has to cross over into your actions and stuff like that. And we get these illustrated in the story. It's like even, or, or even in the story when people don't have all the intellectual beliefs all straightened out, people are constantly confused about who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world and what the heck is going on and who is this and, and stuff like that. If they kind of get the actions right, if they can kind of trust enough that they're not afraid enough to at least keep following Jesus or, or to trust him to let Jesus come all the way to their house to heal their daughter, even when they've heard that she's dead, stuff like that, they still experience God's favor. So you don't have to have all the doctrine and all the religious beliefs as we think of them ironed out and perfect to, for you to experience God's favor and for you to be one of the people that God uses to go share it with others. So that's kind of interesting. Like Luke's has that in the text, in the story. Um, and then number three, why would they kind of keep the story around? Well, I think looking back at the story of the storm and the demons, um, you have to remember that this is Luke is a post-apocalyptic gospel where some people have experienced great tragedy at the hands of the forces of nature and the forces of empires and the forces of evil and of death and of all kinds of stuff like that. And these stories might be stories that they can read and be reminded that the God that they believe in has control over all that stuff. Um, or, or, or is able to, to help them or save them or knows what's going on and is not afraid of them. The sea even hears and obeys. So even if other people won't, even if the empire, you know, that came in and destroyed their temple and killed their family and, and is constantly hunting them down and looking for them and stuff like that is, is, is on their tails and is causing them great grief and pain constantly, um, they can read the story and be like, okay, like the God that we're following even if the other people in the world don't do what he says, the world is, 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 belongs to this God and will obey what he does. You know, even death itself will respond and will do what Jesus wants it to and says it will do. Um, I mean, this is just, Jesus does his second, like bringing someone back to life act in the book so far. And I mean, for a community that's experienced great death and great tragedy among them, maybe it's kind of gives them some hope and some courage and a little bit of strength to get through the next day to be reminded that Jesus is one who doesn't want people to die, but is actually able to bring them back to life at a, either now or at a certain point later. Um, and it can kind of remind them that the evil empire doesn't get the final answer in the world, you know, um, that the, the, if they're poor, you know, then, and they're afflicted, then, you know, the, the banks, the soldiers, the salesmen, the tax collectors, all the, all the religious leaders who are, who are oppressing them and stuff like that. None of those people get the final answer. Jesus does. And Jesus always is willing to share more of himself to give people what they need to take care of people. Doesn't mind being touched. Doesn't mind going and touching others. And that's the person who's in control of the forces of the world. <laughs> Um, and so maybe that will help them get through one more day of hearing Jesus' command that says, don't be afraid, but believe. Like these stories kind of strengthen them and give them courage. I would imagine. Um, that's the end. That's the end of our lo-fi questions. Um, it's been a really good episode. I actually really like this part of the story. Um, there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of fun in it. There's a lot of um, really touching um, glimpses of what kind of person and what kind of character Jesus is in the story. I hope that you're seeing that too. 
Um, but as always, if, if you see something different, I would love to learn from you. I would love to see what you see. Um, so if, if you've heard what I've said and you're on the same track, if you kind of agree with me, I would love to hear from you so I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> if you have a different point of view and you see something else in the story, I would love to hear from you so I can learn from what you see. Um, help me like give me new eyes, like help me see what you see. So um, when you hear the tag at the end of the episode after the chimes ring, you'll hear how to get in touch with us. Again, I would love to hear it. It would be really great for me. It would be good for my heart. So um, yeah, I invite you guys, whether you're reading this as just a, a, a good piece of literature or you're reading this as you know something that's religiously devotional for you, whether you're just curious or whether you're religious and kind of burned out and looking for a fresh way to look at the Bible, I hope that here we are as we wrap it up that you're able to go in peace and have a great day. Be well, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, The more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, If you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, You can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and and keep things going on there. Uh, Just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Lectionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net. And that's lofi with no dash, so L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofikevin. With no dash again, so at Lo-Fi Kevin. Um, That's kind of it. So thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.